This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Well, welcome back to Work Minus. Today, we're talking to Scott Brinker, who's the VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, and he's the editor at chiefmartech.com. This episode is called Work Minus Either Or. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hi. Uh, good to be with you, Neil. Yeah, it's great to have you. We are going to be talking through a presentation that you gave called The New Rules of Marketing Technology and Operations, which I'm going to provide a link to in the show notes. But we're talking about these opposing tensions, specifically within marketing, of centralization and decentralization, and also humanizing and automating. So why don't you give us an overview of, of how you came to these topics and, and what your stance on them? Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, the roles of uh, marketing technology and operation leaders, um, you know, it's really expanded here over the past uh, several years just because there's so much technology uh, that marketing departments are now using to really, uh, yeah, I mean, run uh, the, the entire uh, life cycle of customer relationship management. But it's interesting as I've, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who run these marketing operation teams, it's like, they struggle with these opposing demands, uh, you know, and so, yeah, you mentioned them in the opening there, right? Like one is, okay, well, let's centralize everything we can, right? We want to standardize on a set of tools. We want to centralize our data so that there's like common systems of record, you know, the, the holy grail of the uh, 360 view of the customer. Um, okay, so that makes sense. But then on the other side of decentralization, right? is marketing operations has a role to empower other teams, other people, you know, certainly on the edge of the marketing organization, uh, but also uh, into the sales organization with sales enablement capabilities, uh, you know, into customer success and customer service teams, you know. And so how do you start to think about empowering uh, more people on the edge? How do you think about decentralizing? And so there's a bit of a, what at first sounds like a weird tension between centralizing and decentralizing. Like, how can you do both simultaneously? But that's exactly uh, what this, this mission is. So when you're talking about centralizing, let's talk about how many apps most marketing departments are running right now. What do you guess? Ooh, uh, well, I don't have to guess, actually. There's uh, some data on this. Um, you know, large enterprises have upwards of a hundred different apps that they run in the marketing department. Uh, But even small companies, uh, the the folks over at Blissfully, who I think of as Tripit for SaaS, they they help uh, small businesses like manage all their different SaaS subscriptions. They just came out with their report uh, a couple weeks ago. And yeah, even for small businesses, like you can have you know, well, across the entire small business, it's easy to have like a hundred uh, different SaaS apps. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so there's this constant feel of, man, we need to reduce, we need to consolidate, bring everything together. But there's there's always this separate voice that says, no, well, we got to have something else that, that enables people at the edge to do what they need to and, and define the tools they need to. Is that kind of the core of the tension here? That is exactly the tension here. And what gets exciting is to think about, okay, well, is there a way to thread this needle? Like, is there a pathway, you know, that you can bring centralization as far as, uh, you know, like common platforms, you know, and common principles about how you organize this stuff? 
but that part of what you're trying to bring with these, uh, you know, platforms at the center of your organization are the ability for people decentralized on the edge uh, to be able to do more specialized work. So what was your kind of lightning bolt moment when you realized this is not an either or decision? We can we can do both. There's just a time to do one and a time to do the other. Yeah, I think it's actually how do you think about centralizing almost with a platform mentality, um, you know, and there's so much great uh, literature out there these days about uh, platforms, not just from a technical perspective, but from like a business model perspective, a great book uh, called Platform Revolution uh, that's uh, worth reading for pretty much anyone in business today. Uh, But right, like if you bring this platform mentality, it's like, okay, we're going to standardize on certain platforms uh, to provide that cohesion at the center of the organization. But the whole point of the platform is it enables creators, you know, on the edge of the organization to do all sorts of highly you know, specialized uh, tasks or, you know, create things on their own um, on top of that platform. And you get the best of both. Yeah. Can you give an example of what you mean by the difference between a platform and uh, a simple application? Yeah. Well, so for instance, um, you know, like uh, there's this whole revolution that's been happening around uh, low code and no code, um, even tools like... um, uh, some of your listeners might be familiar with things like, you know, Zapier that, you know, helps people like move data from one cloud service to another cloud service. Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing about these tools is they're actually pretty easy. You don't have to be a technologist. You don't have to be an IT professional, you know. And if your company has adopted these kinds of citizen technology tools, whether it's for, you know, integrating cloud services or building little apps or creating, you know, business process workflows, you know, like when you get these tools that enable non-technical business users to be able to self-service themselves and saying, oh, yeah, I need to structure this thing or I need this little app or I need this little workflow and they can just build it on their own. That is so incredibly liberating. And that's that's that sort of decentralization uh, that uh, you get on top of those centralized platforms that are enabling it. Well, let's shift to the second big tension that you talk about of humanizing versus automating. Obviously, especially in marketing, we were at a a stage where we were trying to figure out how to incorporate even more technology in, which is often how do we automate things? How do we make it uh, even more streamlined? Yet, marketing is is supposed to be very high touch too and have this human element to it. So so talk about that tension. Yeah, it's like, okay, go do both of these things. Yeah. Uh, make marketing more efficient, more automated. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, you're, you you said it very eloquently, right? I mean, it's like marketing is is the touch point uh, to the actual humans, you know, that uh, want to engage with our business and engage with our brand, you know. And so some of that is like making sure that at the right moment, we can connect uh, humans in our organization with, uh, you know, our actual customers, you know, and part of that becomes like, all right, when you're designing these automated workflows and you're designing these automated nurturing programs or you're designing your, you know, automated chatbots or things like this, that you find the right point for an escape hatch, you know, that if a customer or prospect isn't being well served by that automation, you're sort of able to make it very easy for them to jump out of that and connect with a live human being, 
So that's certainly one aspect of just making sure that, yeah, we, we're, we're still having these human elements uh, within the context of a broader automation movement. Is it strange for you as someone who's been in this industry for a long time that, you know, a modern marketing team will have you know, maybe, I don't know, 75% of the people there never, ever will talk to a customer live, if not more than that. Um, most of them are, are doing deep data analysis, uh, a lot of technology that's there. Is, is that a strange thing for you to see coming from seeing different eras going through? Or w- what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it is a strange thing. And I think we should push against that. Uh, and I don't mean that like everyone in marketing should be spending all of their days then, you know, focusing on one-to-one customer interactions. But, you know, I, I think it is true that, you know, marketing's job increasingly is finding how to get leverage uh, through technology to, you know, impact lots of people uh, with the work they do. But I think the key is to make sure that that work we're doing is really informed by empathy with who our customers are. They're not just a person on the wall. They're not just some sort of analytical analysis that says, oh, we have a cluster in this data segment over here. You know, I think for everyone in marketing, just as a part of uh, what they do, you know, month by month, get some time with actual real customers. I mean, it's great if it's, you know, over the phone. It's even better if you have a chance to go and visit them and see them in their natural habitat. Uh, You know, that sort of anthropological uh, element of marketing. I think it's just so important to inform them how we think about engaging customers using more of the automation and technology when we're back at our desk. And actually, uh, when you talk about automating, that that can make time, make room for other parts to be able to go and visit customers and to bring about? What are the core aspects of marketing that you feel like should definitely be handled by systems, by automation machines? So I think it's one of the things I put in that article that you're linking to is when we think about automation and we think about efficiency, you could almost have this like two by two grid of saying, okay, well, you know, is it efficient for the company? Yes or no? Uh, and is it efficient for the customer? Yes or no? You know, and uh, you could argue the, the the ideal is right the the upper right corner of that of oh yeah, it's efficient for both us and the customer. Um, and I think that's really that's the ideal. It's like okay, for customers, in a lot of scenarios, they they not only don't mind being able to self-service their needs, in many cases, they actually prefer it, right? If they can go to your website and it's really easy for them to figure out, oh, here's the answer I need or here's the thing I need to purchase or here's, you know, the support issue I need a resolution to, you know, if they can just get that right away on their own, wow, that's delightful. And so I think finding those kinds of automations um, really are the uh, <laughs> the golden ring that we're going for. I think what I caution against is when we're doing automations that are really about improving the efficiency inside our own company, like saying, okay, well, listen, we don't want to have uh, human beings, like it's really expensive to have human beings take all these support phone calls directly. So we're going to have this chatbot and the chatbot's going to, you know, try and look through the knowledge base and, you know, automate as many of these responses as possible. Hey, 
that's great in theory, but if the way that chatbot's working and the things it's serving up from a knowledge base actually aren't making things faster, better, easier for the customers, that's actually making it harder for them to like, oh, okay, I've tried to work with this chatbot for 30 minutes. It's not helping me. Now I have to try and track down a human being. And because they've got the chatbot, they put less human beings, you know, available. So it's an even longer wait to get to that human being. Those are the sorts of things we're like, okay, <laughs> you've made this more efficient for the company in some way, but for the customer experience, it kind of blows. And this is something you call dangerously efficient, right? Yes, dangerously efficient. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of this comes down to, again, like, you know, the metrics we use to measure the success of automation. If it's simply about, you know, cost savings or time savings, independent of things like customer NPS or customer experience, yeah, that's where you can just get yourself into that. Uh, yeah, dangerous territory. So talking to somebody who's maybe leading uh, a marketing function right now, where do you think is the, the most likely area they're going to trip up in these decisions of trying to manage these two tensions? Yeah, I think it really comes down to, you know, what is the process you are trying to optimize? Um, you know, like, for instance, uh, you know, like lead scoring is, uh, again, one of these things that, right, uh, we've, we've moved largely to algorithms uh, that, uh, you know, certainly in B2B markets, you know, when a lead is generated through some sort of marketing channel, you know, we now are generally turning over to machine learning models, the thing of saying, oh, okay, well, hmm, based on what we know, what segment does this customer belong to? Okay, are they ready to be handed over as a qualified lead to sales? You know, and there's, there's definitely beauty to that efficiency, right? We're able to now, in theory, be able to actually respond to those um, prospects much faster, get them to the right, uh, you know, salesperson if it's that time, um, you know, get them the right content from a personalization perspective. But what's the checks and balances there? How do you know it's actually working? How do you actually know that, hey, actually, we are segmenting these people properly. We're getting them the right content you know, not only by what the machine algorithm thinks, but by what that actual, you know, prospect thinks. And I think here to just have, you know, some regular auditing, you know, to be like, okay, well, I don't want to have to manually follow up with every single prospect. That's not efficient. But if I've got this automated system, is it at least once a month, you know, that actually I am manually intercepting two or three of them, you know, just to say, hey, listen, I'm personally sending you this uh, email. Is this the sort of content uh, you, you know, you'd be interested in? Are there any questions you have? You know, how can I help? You know, just to be able to get that response that says, okay, actually, yeah, where the machine is aligning here does seem to match the customer needs and making things more efficient for them, not just the efficiency machine for us. And this goes back to another point you made in your article uh, where you talk about this rule of hiking and you apply it to, to our situation when you say when the map and the, the customer disagree, trust the customer. Can you unpack that statement again? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, you know, that sort of clever, uh, I think it's from like the Boy Scouts or something, uh, you know, this thing of like, hey, listen, uh, when the map and the train disagree, trust the train. So if the map says, you know, keep walking forward, uh, but with your own eyes, you actually see, hmm, you know, this, a, a, a big crack has opened up in the earth. And uh, if I keep walking forward, it's not going to end well. Uh, right. I mean, it, it's obvious, but, you know, the, the lesson from there is really actually an important one in other contexts to realize that, okay, 
for marketing, we think of the map as the marketing automation platform, you know, it's collected all this data on a prospect or a customer. And by default, the, the automated way of handling that is to say, oh, well, this data is true and it's the only data that's really relevant. And the problem is maybe it's true. Maybe it's not, but it's almost certainly not all the data that would be relevant to that customer. It's only some subset of data that we've collected, you know. And so, again, this comes back to having that human empathy and that human awareness and even doing just some auditing of this sort of stuff to make sure that, you know, when we actually end up having a customer service call or a sales call or some sort of email interaction one-on-one with a customer, you know, that we're really listening to what they're saying and how we can serve them best rather than just trusting that the data we have in our CRM system, our marketing automation system is the, the ground truth. The customer is the ground truth. So at the center of these spectrums on your graph in your article, you say that we, we always need to be ready for change. There's always going to be something else that's going to come up that's going to be new that we need to adapt to. So what are some of those changes you see coming in the next five years, especially for marketing? Whoa. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, you know, one of the fun things about this industry is it's becoming, it's changing so rapidly. It's accelerating so fast that I actually find it hard to even like imagine what's <laughs> going to be possible like five years from now. I think even just you know, looking out over the next year or two, right? Um, I mean, for instance, we'll just pick one thing that's, you know, really exploded in the past uh, year or so is uh, these voice assistants. You know, I mean, Amazon Alexa started out as a bit of a novelty, but now I forget what the latest number is, but there's something like maybe 100,000 skills for Alexa that have been created by all these different uh, independent developers and brands. And, you know, uh, now that you've got, uh, you know, Google really in the space, obviously Apple is serious. Like all of a sudden these like voice assistants are becoming a real channel to our prospects and customers. And I mean, two years ago, just like marketers weren't even thinking about that as a, you know, channel. Now that it's appeared, you know, it's like, okay, well, hmm, how, how should we engage with prospects and customers, you know, for our kind of a business? What makes sense? Doesn't make sense. Um, you know, is it a sales thing? Is it a support thing? Um, you know, so I think, uh, yeah, you look across that, you look across what continues to happen here with, uh, you know, the consumer world and internet of things, um, you know, the, the revolution of augmented reality and virtual reality, it keeps nudging forward uh, more and more. It's just like all these incredible innovations. And the job of marketers is to really keep their ear to the ground of which subset of these changes are really relevant to our audience. Do you feel like the lessons in marketing are, are just as applicable to every other department? Or are there some unique things about marketing that force them to be on the front of these changes? Well, I think they probably are relevant to more departments than uh, perhaps uh, those departments uh, sometimes fully appreciate. Um, I guess the reason I think it's definitely relevant to marketing is the the scope of marketing has really changed significantly here, particularly over the past five years or so. There's been this recognition that, okay, marketing isn't just about classic marketing touch points, you know, really this almost sort of, you know, marketing communications role. I mean, don't get me wrong, marketing communications is still a big part of what marketing does. 
But it's in many organizations, marketing really has become the champion of the customer experience in a much more end-to-end customer lifecycle way. And so, yeah, that's, that's really, you know, that, that, that scope explosion of marketing's responsibility, like our customers having a great experience, you know, from the very first touch point with us all the way through, you know, the decision funnel, the purchase funnel, the, you know, what happens afterwards, because at the end of the day, either happy or unhappy customers that come out on the other end, they become either our greatest marketing asset uh, or our greatest marketing liability. Um, and so, yeah, marketers, marketers really have to have their ear to the ground for that entire customer life cycle. Well, Scott, tell us a little bit about Chief Martech. If we go there, what do we find on your website? So I've been writing that blog for about 10 years now. And it really started with my, just yeah, a, a, a labor of love, a fascination with the intersection between the discipline and the profession of marketing and the disciplines and professions around things like uh, IT and software development. And, you know, like uh, 10, 20 years ago, right? Certainly these things, uh, you know, I was growing up, you know, the high school guidance counselor, right? If there was a spectrum of career choices, you know, the IT and software development, you know, (laughs) piece was on the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, the marketing department. Um, And in the past 10 years in particular, these two things have just converged, you know, because all this technology has really become the conduit by which we engage with customers. And so, yeah, my blog, chiefmartech.com, is mostly about the intermingling between these two different professions and you know, these two different disciplines. Well, Scott, we really appreciate you being on the show. It's, it's great to learn about you. Anything else you want to leave us with? Um, it uh, has never been a uh, better or more exciting time to be in the world of marketing. <laughs> it's great. Well, uh, Scott, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been great to talk with you. Hope to connect with you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.